The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Pepe. And I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right. We have some good football and basketball topics to discuss today. Please subscribe to our page on YouTube. It's the Voice of Motown podcast. Share your thoughts on today's topics in the comments section. So let's dive into it. Blaine Stort, the son of former WVU head coach Bill Stort was hired as West Virginia's tight end coach on Friday. Blaine served on Mike Tomlin's Steeler staff for the past several years. So what are your thoughts on the hire? You know, I think considering it's a it's a pretty solid hire, um, unfortunately, you know, not having experienced coaching tight ends adds a little bit of a question mark. But I think the same can be said for a lot of the other moves that Neil Brown decided to make or not make this offseason. So, um you know, I, I think it's good to have someone in the program who uh, is familiar with the program, who is a West Virginia kid, um, who probably loves the program, I would assume. Um, and, you know, that can only help with recruiting. Um, we definitely need improvement on the tight ends. And I don't think he, he's going to be worse than what we've had there in previous years. So at the very least, it's um, a minor step up um, with some upside to go with it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Personally, I like the hire. Um, some might ask yourself, why would he leave an NFL job for a possible one-year job in college? Because we don't know Neil Brown's future. Um, but the easy answer is the job's an upgrade. It's a promotion for him because with the Steelers, he was just an assistant wide receiver coach. At WVU, he will be the tight ends coach. He, he will own that room. And so it's more responsibility. It looks good on a resume. Um, for future jobs. And it's not like Mike Tomlin wouldn't give him a job down the road if he was looking for employment. So for Blaine, it makes complete sense. It's a win for him. And honestly, I think it's a win for WVU. Um, obviously, most fans love it because of the Bill Stork connection, former beloved head coach, his son who practically grew up in those facilities is coming back home. But um Blaine is a coach with NFL experience. He's worked with multiple positions for the Steelers, not just wide receivers, because he's been there since I believe it's 2017 or something like that. He's worked with special teams, wide receivers, tight ends. So he does have a lot of football knowledge and experience. And I think he's more than capable of getting the job done. And like you said, it's not like the tight ends have been super productive here at WVU lately. So it's not like... Uh, they were performing super high and Blaine's going to come in and they're going to crash. I mean, he, it seems like he can only improve on what we've done at that position the past few years. Yeah, definitely. And I like that he's coming from a good organization. I mean, say what you will about, you know, the Steelers offense and, you know, some of the minor gripes people have about them. I mean, look at the pro the, the program organization that Mike Tom Tomlin runs and it's just a winning program that develops guys that puts guys in great positions um, and he's well-respected. So, I mean, hopefully some of that rubs off and you know, that the rooms that 
a Blaine Stewart would have been in for the Steelers are rooms with a lot of talent. I mean, the receivers room for the Steelers has always been a place where, you know, people joke that Steelers will take a receiver in the third or fourth or fifth round and they become a superstar. Um, it's true. And then same with tight ends. I mean, even though, you know, Fryermuth is kind of a bigger name now and, you know, before him, maybe you couldn't really necessarily name anyone, but, you know, even someone like uh, Moses named Jesse James, who was never really kind of a, a highly touted guy. He was a solid contributor to the tight end room. So, I mean, um, neither of those position groups have been lacking talent or lacking development. And so whether he was contributing to that or um, he was learning from the people who were contributing to that development, um, it's a great guy to have in the building. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. And like you said, whether you guys like the Steelers or hate them, personally, we're Steeler fans. But even if you like Baltimore and you're not a big Steeler guy, it's hard to deny that that's not a top notch organization that's got good structure and and good foundation for a coach to really earn his stripes. in. so it's hard to find a lot of issues with the hire. Um, but that leads us to our next topic with the hiring of Blaine for the tight ends coach. Neil Brown is moving Sean Reagan back to quarterbacks coach. He served as the quarterback coach at West Virginia from 2019 to 2021 before they moved him to tight ends coach last year, but now he's back at quarterback coach. So what's your move on that? Because some people are okay with it, but a lot of people are not thrilled about it. I'm going to keep this short and I'm going to say four names, Trey Lowe, Jack Allison, Austin Kendall, Jared Deggy. Yeah, honestly, that is the very first thing I have written down for mine as well. I mean, those names uh, in the three years that Sean Reagan was the quarterback coach didn't exactly win a lot of games for West Virginia. Allison was a bust. Uh, Kendall didn't work out here. Trey Lowe, I don't, did he even play a snap? If he did, it wasn't a very memorable couple snaps and mm -hmm. although Daggy has decent all-time numbers in his 27 starts here his struggles are well documented so Brown said Reagan maximized talent when he was a quarterback coach here and that's why he's moving him back there I mean <laughs> did he West Virginia's passing game wasn't that great from 2019 to to 21 so is he saying the quarterbacks absolutely stunk during that time and he was getting as much squeeze out of that juice as he possibly could because um i don't know i i got these numbers from callahan over at si and i did think they were interesting and wvu's um in the three years he was there the wvu's passing game was ranked sixth second and fourth in the big 12 which I actually thought was pretty good. Those were, those were higher rankings than I expected. The passing game last year under Graham Harrell was surprisingly only ninth in the Big 12 by season's end. So they were practically at the bottom. So I understand just by looking at the numbers, it's easy to justify the move. And we know Neil Brown's a big number guy, so I'm sure that's the stuff he was looking at. But um, like you keep saying, Brandon, I think Ren Baker is just letting Neil call all these shots because if all of these moves add up to a successful season in 2023, then great. But if WVU struggles, then Neil can't put blame on anyone else. I mean, these are all his decisions, and it's going to be easy for Ren to show him the door out and justify his firing. So... I, I'm starting to get on that bandwagon with you. I think Ren's just taking a step back and saying, 
here you go, Neil. Do whatever you want to save your job. And if you don't, then you have no one to blame but yourself. Yeah, and I, I like that approach. And, you know, just to kind of go back to give a little bit more context that the Sean Reagan, you know, maybe Trey Lowe um, is a guy who you don't necessarily expect much from because, you know, he came in as a freshman. He wasn't super highly rated, um, kind of didn't fit the system, more of a dual threat type of guy. Just wasn't great for him. But Jack Allison, even, you know, he was a four-star quarterback. He went to Miami, the U, not Miami of Ohio, but the U, the Hurricanes, um, transferred up here, um, couldn't develop. You know, whether that was under Holgerson or Reagan, you know, you can make an argument either way. But Austin Kendall, you know, he was a four- or five-star guy at Oklahoma. He was supposed to be the next guy um, before, I think it was Jalen Hurts transferred there. And Jalen Hurts took the job, so he transferred out. Um, couldn't do anything here. Now, that's not to say that Austin Kendall did anything while he was at, um, I forget where he transferred to and started, but you I know, think he, it was Louisiana he, Tech, I want to say. That's probably right. Yeah, Louisiana Tech. He did okay there. Didn't necessarily set the word on fire, but I mean, you know, maybe he is what he was. And Jarrett Deggie, I mean, he had a good first year here. He had a good year at year or two at Bowling Green when he was there. Um, he just never improved. So to say that, Sean Reagan maximized talent. Basically, all he did was keep talent where it was. I mean, that's the complete opposite of maximizing talent. I mean, obviously, maybe they didn't get worse under him, but they sure as heck didn't get better. Um, the one argument I could see for making or keeping Reagan on staff is I think Reagan did recruit Nico. Um, and obviously, I think Neil was hanging on really tightly to Nico and having him on the team since there's a lot of hype around him. But we don't even know if Nico's going to start. I mean, it'd be great if he could win that job, but Garrett Green's still there, and he's putting in the work. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. And, yeah, I mean, I just don't get, you know, if Sean Reagan is someone that you have on staff solely for recruiting purposes, you could hide him somewhere else and just go out there and get someone who can help maybe Chad Scott with the passing game. Um, they really didn't do that. So, again, to your point, I think Wrench has kind of let – letting Neil do his thing and we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, if you just wanted to keep him on staff, you could have just left him right where he was at and go got, you know, gotten another quarterback coach. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Neil's move and uh, I hope it works out. I mean, I really do, but on paper, I, I, I didn't love it. <laughs> and I don't think a lot of w, WVU fans did by what I was reading online, but um Anyways, moving on, this is a positive note. C.J. Donaldson signs an NIL deal with a car dealership, and I know he never said he was leaving WVU, but there were a lot of rumors questioning whether he would or not, especially after all of his West Virginia-related pictures were deleted on social media. Um, he did put them back up shortly afterwards, and of course, this didn't stop people from speculating, though. So you got to think that this NIL deal probably signifies that he will play for West Virginia next year, which is exciting to hear, especially since WVU seems to be leaning towards a run heavy offense. So what'd you think about seeing that news on social media? I think it's great news. I mean, I thought it was kind of weird that it was announced alongside an NIL deal, but that's maybe just because I'm not used to it yet. Um, the one thing that I do wonder is if, you know, CJ Donald's industry injury contributed to him having to stay. I mean, I feel like he's going to get more NIL money here at WVU just because we know what he is and we have faith in him. And, you know, 
he's someone that we, the fans have kind of rallied around where other programs were going to say, you know, how's that leg doing? Um, and people aren't going to give money to that. So I, I don't necessarily think it, I'm not trying to be a, a doomsayer here, but um, I'm not necessarily trying to say that CD Donaldson's gone after this year, if he has a fully healthy season, but um, you know, I think it was more likely than not that he was going to stick around just because of the situation that he's currently in, but it's great to have him back. And I'm really hoping that he can pick up where he left off last year. Oh, for sure. Freshman phenom. And now he's coming in a sophomore year. And I believe you have to play three years before you can go pro now. Right. And so yep. if we can keep him around, get three solid years out of him, um, that's definitely a big feather in West Virginia's cap. And it's something that we could point to down the road and maybe convince high profile guys to stay here. We can say, look at all the success he had and then ideals that he got while here. So I think it's a, it's really big news. Um, and, and you know, that was it for that topic. I, yeah, I just wanted to ease some fans minds who, in case you missed the news on social media, the running back room seems to be intact for the 2023 season, which is always positive. Yeah. And so that takes us to our next topic. And that is, um, yesterday, uh, Neil Brown had his first postseason um, press conference of the year. And it was an interesting one. Um, he talked from everything from coaching decisions to um, what went wrong last year and everything in between. So maybe just kind of starting from the beginning, um, Neil Brown noted in the first few minutes saying that, you know, the, the blame was on him. And I appreciated that. But less than two minutes later, he was blaming, you know, the uh, offense and how productive they were and how they just weren't as good as in previous years. So what did you make of that? Because for me, I just kind of shook my head and was wondering who's he putting the blame on again? <laughs> I mean, maybe he's saying, you know, I'm the offensive guy because he did come to West Virginia as an offensive guy. Maybe he's saying, you know, it's my fault and the the offense struggled and that's on me. Um, Neil Brown does kind of, <laughs> I don't know, kind of contradict himself in the same exact practice press conference all the time. And I don't think he does it intentionally. I, I just think he's not being very mindful of what he's saying. Um, for the most part, I, I was fine with what he said. Of course, there was those few times that, you know, I rolled my eye listening to him for 40 minutes, but uh, <laughs> I don't know about the rest of you fans, but that's, that's just a pretty typical Neil Brown press conference for me. Yeah. And I think that's just what kind of rubbed me the wrong way was that it was a lot of doublespeak and he does do that, you know, from time to time. Um, but, you know, when you're saying the blame's on you and then you start talking about how areas where you were clear that you weren't involved in for at least a portion of the season were struggling. And then you're also praising the people that you brought in, you know, talking about um, Jordan Leslie and the defensive staff and how, you know, I don't think that they forgot how to stop coaching um, when there's other factors. I think that, need to be factored into that. I mean, um, sticking with the defensive side of the ball, you know, he mentioned that, you know, well, two years ago we were ranked top five, the big, big 12 or something like that. Um, but we also have to remember the context of what happened two years ago and a year ago, and even a year ago, not this past season, but the season before that, you know, you had Jamila die on staff two years ago. It was a year removed from Vic Coning. And, you know, a lot of the times these coaching changes aren't necessarily immediately affected or immediately impacting the team because you have guys on the team who were taught by the other guy who left and 
they're still there playing and they can still be productive because they were coached by the other guy. They didn't unlearn their good habits. So to say that, and I'm not saying that Jordan Leslie's a bad coach, but it could be other people within the program. It could be the safeties coach who changed. It could be the secondaries coach who's changed. It could be the linebackers linebacking coach who's changed. Um, for, for Neil, I feel like it's just either black or white, you know, either all the defensive guys are good or all of them are bad. And unfortunately I think he just kind of sticks with his guys too much. So what was your stance? Do, do you, do you agree with Neil that you think that this coach defensive coaching staff has shown enough in the past that they should have stuck around for another year? Well, I mean, I'm fine with Jordan Leslie coming back. I'm a little shocked that they didn't make a switch, say, with the secondary coach or something like that, too, because it's hard to justify that they've done a good job since Jamil Adai left. But um, to me, it's not so much defensive coaching. It's They just didn't have good defensive players in the secondary last year, and I hate to throw that on the players. I mean, Aubrey Burks, of course, was good. They did have some guys that stood out, but as a whole, they had a lot of weak spots. I mean, we had a walk-on playing. Um, Ruffin. Rucker? What? Ruffin. Ruffin. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I kept thinking Rucker in my head, and I'm like, I know that's not right. Yeah, and I, honestly, by the end of the year, I kind of liked him. He, he would make plays mm-hmm. from time to time, but if you have a walk-on stepping up and giving you a ton of minutes, that's normally not a good sign if your starters have fallen that far down the depth chart. Um, and, and so they just didn't bring in the good players, and I still put that on coaching. They're the ones bringing in the guys. So you need to keep guys there. And if they're walking, then you need to bring in talent that can replace them. And they didn't. And um, yeah, maybe they aren't coaching those guys up, but just for the eye test, I don't even think you could get enough out of those guys that can be compete in the big 12. But um, like I said, am I mad Jordan Leslie's coming back? Not necessarily, but I definitely think there should have been some changes that, uh, positions. Yeah. And, and that kind of, I think flows in perfectly to my next question. And that's, I, I don't even know how to unravel this or how to ask it, but what did you think of Neil Brown's comments on comparing the state of WVU's football program to TCU last year? That was laughable to me. <laughs> I mean, he said, you know, they, they kind of stood pat. They didn't try to get a bunch of talent in the transfer portal and comparing that to themselves, it's just not the same. I, I mean, I, it's laughable. It really is. I mean, we didn't have guys on defense that were as talented as Kendra Miller, who stepped up and filled in the running back role for TCU. So it's not the same. Um, sure, you want to keep guys here, but if you're not keeping them here, you do have to hit the transfer portal hard and get good talent to replace them. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't even know what else to say. I thought it was a ridiculous comparison myself. Me too. I mean, I just don't understand, like, I don't know if it's a lack of self-awareness or if he thinks that people are believing some of the things that he's saying, but it's, it's just a ridiculous thing to say. And you're saying it in a press conference that, you know, that at least all the diehards are going to watch. So I just don't understand the strategy behind what message he's trying to send. Like, I feel like anyone who watches a quarter of football in the fall knows that WVU and TCU situations are completely different. So um, to me as a fan, I'm kind of offended that he would think that I'm stupid enough to eat that, you know? Um, 
And, you know, maybe it's just because the past three years have left me bitter, but that's just the way I feel about it. Um, But to end on a more positive note, I did think at the end of his press conference, he did a really good job of talking about um, the concerns with NIL and the transfer portal. Um, I really liked that, you know, he mentioned that he's afraid that college football is going to turn into something where even the, the good, the big time fans aren't going to know who's on the team because of the way the players are transferring around and that college football really needs to consider the fans. So um, I love that comment with them. It's one of the few things I did agree with them wholeheartedly on and um, wanted to get your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, 100%. He basically said, like, your average fan's not even going to know who's playing on their favorite team because people are jumping ship so much from year to year. You don't even know who's wearing your favorite team's jersey. And I do agree with him. I mean, that is true. Heck, just look at basketball nowadays. WVU seems to have a completely different roster every year because guys are coming in as seniors and then they're leaving and then other guys are transferring. And um, it it does make it a little less special. I'm not going to lie. I mean, when I was growing up, you would watch these players develop over a four-year period, and they would be your favorite player in the world. You know, pros and everything. You would love those college players um, the best. But I I feel like kids nowadays aren't going to feel that way because you're only going to see them one or two years, and then they're gone, either going to a bigger program or to the pros. And uh yeah, I definitely agree with them. It, it's it's taking away what was so special about college because college was always different from the pros. And, you know, that's what made it so unique and popular. But now it's it's almost becoming like the NFL light, which I think is bad for college football because if you're just going to watch NFL light, why wouldn't you just watch the best in the world do it in the NFL? Yeah, exactly. And, I, you know, I think he – brought up a good point too that it's even worse than the NFL in that at least when you're an NFL fan, you know that a guy's going to be around for two or three or four years because they have a contract. Yeah. Um, where with college players just kind of come and go as they please. And that's a huge problem. Like there has to be some sort of commitment. And I understand that players should be able to move under certain st- circumstances like coaches leaving or, you know, family issues back home or medical issues, things like that. Um, but to allow players just to kind of transfer three or four or five times, like um, not to, not to hate on Eric Stevenson, but do we really want more guys who've played in four or five colleges throughout their entire college career? Um, I don't think that's fun. You know, I just don't have any attachment to it. And um, yeah, it's just not, it's not college sports anymore at that point. Yeah. I'm with you. It's like the Teddy Buckets situation. Teddy yeah. Allen was almost like a running joke because he was on a new team every year. And uh, sadly, that's just kind of becoming the norm across college sports. Yeah, for sure. I, I did like the the grad transfer w- rule. I, I do like that where, you know, you get a free year if you've graduated and you want to go get a grad program somewhere. And, you know, I thought that was something that was fun. You know, guys like Ryan Mundy who came to WVU, Um, I consider him a WVU alum just because he came here, he got his master's, he played for a year, and he was an important part of our defense. Um, But it changes things whenever someone transfers in, then transfers out, um, or transfers in, stays for two years, transfers out. Like, there's so many different situations now. It doesn't feel like you're really committing to a program. You're just kind of committing to a roster spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. 
All right. Um, you got anything else from the press conference you want to discuss? Nope. That was uh, all I had. Those were the, the hot topics for me. All right. Let's move on to basketball then. The Mountaineers got an exciting win last week against TCU, but then they followed it up with a close, disappointing loss to Texas over the weekend. And it's a scene that we're, we're kind of getting used to as West Virginia fans, unfortunately. Hang close just to fall apart in the closing minutes. Uh, it seems to be a theme. And I suspected the Mountaineers would split those games at home. I think I even said it on the podcast. I thought they would go one and one. So I'm not disappointed in winning one and losing one. It's just disappointing to see the Mountaineers lose yet again due to poor free throw shooting, too many turnovers. It's just the same thing for the past two years, it seems like. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a lot of, issues that go into it. Um, I mean, I, I think they're like we talked about with football, there's a lot of value in having at least guards who know the team who are kind of team leaders. I mean, you think of someone, um, you know, I think of that final four team, you know, their point guard was Joe Mazzola. He played four years for that team. Um, he was never really the best player on the floor. He was just a glue guy who kind of got everyone on the same page and was a great passer. I mean, even in that final four run, his shoulder was busted. He couldn't shoot. He was just out there basically to be a passer and to set up the offense. Um, but those guys are valuable. I mean, even looking at someone like Jawan Staten, like he was here for a few years, but he um, was such a great playmaker and he really opened up things for other guys. I feel like because of this transfer thing, um, players come in, they see an open spot and it's more of them trying to make a name for themselves trying to score buckets and a lot of ISO ball. And it just doesn't work. I mean, I'm even surprised that Keddie's kind of taking as many shots as he has. Um, he's been good. Uh, I can't really complain about that, but last year, I mean, he was more of a playmaking guard. He was playing great defense. Um, I would like to see more of that balance from him and get more guys involved because the ISO ball just isn't working. And I feel like we're relying on that way too much. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. And uh, one of the possible reasons for losing that Texas game was Coach Huggins completely forgot to play Joe Troussant in the game during the second half. He finished the game playing only 11 minutes. Huggs was even asked about it in the press conference after the game, and he basically said, I forgot to get Troussant in the game, and that's my fault. He deserves to play. Um, I know Coach is still trying to get used to managing rotations, but I have no idea how that happens. No, no idea how, you know, one of his assistants doesn't bring it to his attention at some point. How does that happen? I don't even know. I mean, I have a hard time believing that, like, he actually forgot. I mean, you would think that Toussaint would at least come up to him and say, hey, coach, you know, am I going in soon? Like, not being a jerk about it or anything. Like, just, you know, nudging him be like, hey, I usually go in now. Is there something going on? Um, I'm wondering if there's something going on behind the scenes that maybe he's just trying to cover for. Um, maybe Tucson was sick. Maybe he was in the doghouse for something. He just didn't want to throw him under the bus. Kind of like the the Eric Stevenson situation where he said that he talked to Eric behind the scenes beforehand. And then when he didn't listen, he finally commented on it in the post game to call him out. And that's when Stevenson finally apologized and kind of has been a different player since. Um, maybe it's a situation like that. Uh, it just really shocks me that the guy who's been one of your top two or three best players over the course of the past month or so, um, you forget about him. It's very odd. 
Yeah. Yeah, it was an odd situation. And, you know, it wasn't a problem against TCU, but obviously Huggins is is still trying to figure out that that you know that substitution job that he's taking on now because I was doing the numbers. Troussant was averaging 23 points per game prior to Saturday. And then all of a sudden you only play him 11 minutes. And Keedy averages about 28 minutes a game. So it's not really a huge stretch that he played 33 because he's normally up there in the high 20s. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, he's been a, he's been a great scorer lately. He had 20 points against TCU. He had 22 against Texas. So he's been playing awesome and earning those minutes. Um, the one negative thing you could say is he also had six turnovers with those 22 points against Texas. And that's easily a season high for him. And, and it was definitely hurting us down the stretch. Um, but guys like Wilson, Stevenson, Kobe Johnson were the ones taking a majority of those minutes from Joe Troussant. And no offense to Eric Stevenson, but since the Oklahoma State game, he's been awful. There's really no other way to say it. He has shot 15 of 55 in the last five games. That's 27%. And he's been four of 27 from three. That's only 14%. You know, why is this guy still getting 20 plus minutes a game when Joe Troussant's riding the pine? Uh, to me, that's just inexcusable. It's really a head scratcher. Yeah. Um, I like Toussaint. I think he plays a really good team game. But when it comes to Stevenson, I just don't get it. Um, you know, I, I just, I mean, even before the, I think a lot of people point to the Oklahoma State game and say, <coughs> you know, maybe, you know, he lost his edge because Hugs called him out and he has to play with fire and all this other stuff. But if you look at his stat, he was really only good against bad teams. Like he's a guy who just like racks it up against teams who aren't athletic, who can't guard him, who are smaller, who, you know, just don't have the talent level. And maybe that's all he is. Maybe he's just kind of in a role where he needs to be more of a, a bench player. Like you talked about last week, play when he's hot. If he's not, then he sits the bench. He plays five minutes a night. Um, I, I think we've seen enough from Seth Wilson to see that, you know, he can do a lot of different things. And even when he's not scoring, he can contribute by moving the ball around. He's a better defender than Eric Stevenson, in my opinion. Um, and you can even give more minutes to guys like Kobe, or there's even other young guys on the bench that, um, Huggins always talks up like the the two Josiahs, um, Davis and Harris, and you know, or even just playing Toussaint and Keddy together. I mean, that might not even be a bad thing either. So I think we have options, and I, I really think it'd be great if Huggins could say, you know, maybe we need to go a different route here. I mean, it's not like Stevenson can come back next year. So what's the harm? He leaves mad. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, you nailed it. The guy was an absolute stud for the first 14 games this season. And, uh, you know, now he can barely crack 10 points a game. It, you know, is it really as simple as Bob Huggins called him out publicly for, you know, that crotch grab and now his mojo's gone? Um, that seems too simple to me. Uh, I, I think you nailed it. It's simply he, he can't play well against good competition because Big 12 play is when we really started to see a dip in his play. He's only had a good shooting performance in the Big 12 against Oklahoma State. Um, there was even uh, Kansas State before that game, and uh, he didn't play well in that one either. He's, he's just been terrible in the other six Big 12 games. If you look at his shooting percentage, 
in the previous four seasons. So even before he got to WVU, he always finishes in the 30 percentile in field goal percentage, not in threes, but field goal percentage. So, um, you know, maybe this is something we should have saw coming. His best season prior to this year was 37% field goal percentage. Not great. So, um, you know, maybe it's something we should have expected. Maybe we, we're not being fair to Eric. Maybe this is just the player he is. And since he was so good those first couple of months, we just thought he turned a corner. But, um, you know, what do you think about that? Maybe this is just the guy he's always been. And we, for whatever reason, hyped him up too much. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, you know, I was more on the lines of, you know, kind of temporary expectations for Eric Stevenson just because, you know, I think I said before, you know, maybe he's a good two or three guy, but I don't see him as the number one. Um, I think another thing too is, is that he's been playing college basketball for what, five or six years now. Um, he's probably maxed out. Like this is who he is. He's not going to get better where you have guys like, again, I'm going to say it, <laughs> Seth Wilson, who I'm a big fan of, is going to get better. He's younger. He's still learning the game. He's getting more minutes. And, you know, every time Seth's out there, he's learning something new. I think with Eric Stevenson, especially in college, um, there, there's a, a ceiling to what you can learn, especially when you're limited athletically, especially when, you know, you're not um, a knockdown shooter. Like they're, they're just, you hit a wall eventually. And I think Eric Stevenson maybe hit that wall earlier in his career. And like you said, he is what he is. Um, but, you know, that could be a valuable piece to a team if he's willing to buy into it. Like there's a value to having someone come off the bench. And if he gets hot, you know, you keep him in there and you just let him go. And if not, then you just pack them in your back pocket for the next game. Um, so I'm not saying that Eric Stevenson's a bad basketball player, but I definitely think it's time for Huggins to, you know, shuffle things around and see what other lineups might work because we have what 14 good guys. I mean, scholarship quality guys, and that's one more than you're supposed to be allowed by the NCAA. So um, it's not like we're lacking bodies. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it's not like Eric's a terrible player. It's just the way they're using him, it's not working. It needs to change. And we know Hugs doesn't like switching his starting lineups for whatever reason. Like, even when guys are playing less minutes, he'll still keep the starting lineup the same, and then he'll just make the bench players play more, which, you know, change the lineup, Hugs. Like, what's your problem? <laughs> like, I, I just don't understand some of his philosophies. I know he's old school and kind of stuck in his ways, but... Uh, you know, if stuff's not working, change it, Huggins. Like, I just don't understand some of his decisions. Yeah. But um, go ahead. I was going to say, on a more positive note, um, I was reading an article the other day about James Okonkwo and how it sounds like Huggins might be turning a corner on him and be willing to give him more minutes. So I saw that. Um, I'm excited for that. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah, I saw those comments too. He said he's been playing very well, earning minutes, and I agree. I mean, he's been fantastic lately. A lot of these young guys who he's shuffling in, I mean, they're impressing once they're out there. Now, who knows? They might start hitting the wall. Like, Waggy seems to be kind of plateauing a little bit. He was that guy who was getting trickled in and looked amazing. And then as his minutes increased, he kind of you know, kind of got lost in the shuffle, I feel like. Like, he's not standing out as much as he used to. But um, I would totally be okay with him getting more minutes because I feel like he's earning it. And you can always go back to Bell or some of those other veterans if you need to. Yeah, I like Okonkwo because he's young. I think he's only, like, 18. He might be 19. Um, 
And he, he has a different skill set from the other two. You know, I think Waggy is, you know, much more of a long kind of shot blocking big who's kind of limited offensively. Bell is just a big burly man who's just hard to deal with. But Konkwu is pretty athletic. You know, Huggins commented how quick he is off at the jump. Um, he's supposed to have a little bit of a jump shot too. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, apparently it's something he practices and feels comfortable with him shooting out there. Um, I think he made comments about that at the beginning of the season. So um, I'm excited to see more of him because he he really strikes me as one of those, you know, young, raw, uh, big guys that we get out of high school and really could develop into someone special like we have in years past. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, and, you know, looking at what's coming up this week, the Mountaineers have Texas Tech on Wednesday, which we're recording Tuesday night. That's tomorrow at 7 and the only team with a worse record than West Virginia in the Big 12 is Texas Tech. The Red Raiders are winless in conference play. And I know it's an away game for the Mountaineers, but if they want any chance at all to make the tournament, and they're still ranked highly in all of those, you know, bubble team rankings and stuff like that, um, somehow they're still ranked pretty high. Uh, if they want any chance at all, they need to win games they're favored in, and, and they just can't lose this one. Now, I hate to be that guy, but if they lose Wednesday to Texas Tech, then the season's a loss. I mean, they're practically playing for an NIT bid at that point. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you have to win. Um, you know, I definitely don't think a tournament bid is out of the question right now. It's really just about kind of figuring things out and winning at home. Um, and we faced some of the toughest opponents in the league right now at home already. So, um, you know, we do have some tough road games coming up, but um, I mean, this Texas tech game is huge and there's really no reason why we shouldn't come out on top. I mean, Texas tech is really reeling. Um, I know they had, um, I forget his name, but the, the one power forward who transferred from Utah state, he was supposed to play for Texas tech and he's actually transferring out already without even playing a game for them because um, he felt that they were trying to rush him back from injury. So that program may just be more of a mess than what a lot of people realize. And I, I thought um, Adams, I think that, that's the coach's name, right? Um, uh, yeah. That, you know, I, I thought that it was a good hire and I thought he had things going in the right direction, but maybe he was just running off the fumes that Chris Beard left. So um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a good brommer for WVU. And, uh, you know, this is a game that I would love to see, WVU win by double digits because it's a game where, you know, we should be a little bit more organized than what's going on in Lubbock. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. If I remember correctly, Adams was like a big defensive guy and, you know, maybe he's still getting his feet under him. I believe it's just his second year there, but uh, now's not the time to feel bad for him. It reminds me a lot of Iowa state and football this year where the Mountaineers were going there. Technically we were still, you know, able to make it to a bowl at that point. And then we went to Iowa state and just got thumped. And then that's when really everyone was just like, we're sick of football. We're sick of this coaching staff. This season's done. And I feel like this is kind of the same turning point. If we go out and lay an egg against Texas tech, the fans are really going to be in an uproar. So, um, you know, I, I know it's the two bottom feeders of the big 12, but, uh, for Mountaineer fans, that's a pretty big game. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it, you know, not trying to look too far ahead, but I, I don't know what WVU does, what Huggins does if he we lose that game, especially in, in a way that's deflating or even embarrassing. Um, 
I mean, how many more times can you go back to the drawing board? I mean, there's only so many ways to kind of paint that same picture that he's been trying to paint for the past few years. So um, I'm not saying that he's going to be forced out. I know he does have um, an option, I think, in his contract that he has to decide on May 1st of this year to decide if he's coming back. Um, I get the sense that I think he probably still wants to coach. Um, but if he fails with this, I, I, you know, depending on how much say Harrison had in roster construction and recruiting and things like that, um, if Harrison had a big say in it, I could see that Huggins trying to come back and rebuild things his way. Um, but you know, it's going to be interesting to see because this is a really pivotal, pivotal, pivotal game, and it could really, um, be a turning point for Bob Huggins too. So, uh, Never thought I would see the day. I mean, obviously he had to retire eventually, but uh, it's definitely coming up in ways I never expected it to. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, hey, they they might go out there and shellac them and, and get some momentum going and put a little streak because Saturday they got Auburn at home. Auburn is ranked 15th. They sit at 16 and three at the time of us recording. I believe they play... Texas A&M Wednesday, so that record will change. But that's going to be a tough matchup for the Mounties. They have a stingy defense that holds opponents to just 62 points a game, and that's the 30th best scoring defense in the nation. Scary matchup. But um, it is in Morgantown, so maybe West Virginia can have some Morgantown magic for us. Um, first things first, though, beat Texas Tech, and then who knows? If they, they ride a wave and beat Auburn, that's – yeah, you know, that's that's kind of a bonus, but that'll be a big feather in their cap to make it to a tournament. Yeah, I mean, I would love to beat Texas Tech and then get a uh, Bruce Pearl so frustrated he turns into to a tomato on the sidelines. I mean, <laughs> that would be a perfect way to end the week. Absolutely, yeah. So I'm hoping for big things this week, um, and, and that's really all I got. You got anything else to add? No, uh, that was it. I think this is a was a great shorter podcast so uh hope you guys enjoyed it and uh let's go mountaineers 100 percent. let us know what you guys think about everything we talked about in the comments if you agree with us awesome if you don't let us know and we'll let's chat about it we'll catch you guys next week absolutely thanks everyone